When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Snoop Dogg and Eminem are beefing. Snoop says it's over, but does Eminem agree? Let's get into it. I think hip hop will always be a void for the people. Everybody, I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads, and with me I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief, and together we are What's the Headline, the podcast. Uh, got an exciting uh, exciting lineup today. This is always one of the more challenging parts of the year. Uh, you know, tends to be dead in the space in terms of new music releases, things like that. And, you know, it was always a struggle for us because we'd see others kind of resorting to kind of clickbaity type stuff just to kind of keep the numbers up. And, you know, while we wanted to, like, definitely give heads, like, good food, we also didn't want to just put trash out just to put it out. Uh, but we got some good stuff this week, um, one of which is kind of an ongoing issue that we'll get into, but a- another more immediate topic came up right around New Year's Eve, and, you know, I think it kind of got lost in the sauce amidst the news that we all received about Doom's passing, but um, yeah, I think it's worth discussing. Two of hip-hop's giants, two of the biggest, the greats, uh, have been in uh, a bit of a beef or a feud. Um, and uh, it's one is to be expected. It's kind of a lightning rod for, for beef. Um, the other one is a bit of a shocker because he, he kind of tends to stay above the fray and is, is, is uh, kind of a big brother or more aptly an uncle to the game. But uh, the two people we're talking about are Snoop Dogg and Eminem. Um, so you want to, you want to run it down? You want me to run down kind of what's, no, no, I'm happy to. Yeah. So, I mean, it actually dates back, uh, you know, in, in 2020, um, somewhere around his album campaign, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Snoop went on the breakfast club and broke down his, uh, top 10 MCs, which funny enough at the time, if I'm not mistaken, you and I covered kind of the ambrosia of that because Snoop's list was really dope. I know we at least talked about it. Um, because he was giving props to a lot of West Coast OGs that sometimes don't come up in the traditional list. And after that conversation ended, um, you know, the Breakfast Club team brought up the fact that Eminem was a noteworthy omission from that top 10. And, you know, Snoop spoke something to the fact of, you know, it's just not it for me, you know, where M is at. Is that, you, you agree with me there? In terms yeah, of yeah, 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 you know, I remember watching that Snoop um, interview real time. Um, it was Breakfast Club. Um, uh, Snoop was remote. You know, uh, I, I remember distinctly. I was in California um, watching it, and um, it was. I remember thinking it was a phenomenal interview because Snoop was always entertaining. And like you said, um, he ran down his list, and you know, so the, the, they asked him if he thought he was in the top ten, and Snoop said he did not make it. He said he actually started off saying that he was near a top ten rapper. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but then he ultimately said he didn't consider him to be part of his top 10. Charlemagne asked him why 
And Snoop said, well, there's some guys in the 80s that Eminem just can't mess with, you know. He said, like Rakim, like Big Daddy Kane, like KRS-One, like LL Cool J, like Ice Cube, you know. And so to me, I saw it not as a diss against M, but as a guy who came out in the early 90s, uh, paying respect to those who came before him and paved the way for him as to who his top 10 would be. It was very personal. Which is something that Eminem himself has done throughout his career. He, I mean, there was that famous Grammy speech where he shouted out Master Ace and Cool Keith and, you know, a host of guys who I'm not sure have ever necessarily even been invited to the Grammys. And more recently, you know, we see Eminem doing a lot of press in front of his cassette tape collection. M has always been a let me put you on to what inspires me type of MC. Right. And as we've covered many times, Redman, like as one of the people in particular he pays homage to, you know, as one of his guys. And, you know, Red is dope. We love him. Um, our, our audience loves him, but not a lot of people put him in the top 10, but it's M's personal top 10, you know. So mm-hmm. so I left that interview thinking um, not about any slight against Eminem, but more so that it was dope that Snoop uh, kind of veered from the typical, like, you know, fill it up with, like, breaks from the 90s uh, top 10 list and really went back to the guys who uh, helped him, you know, and influenced him in his career. Um, but fast forward, Eminem later responded on an expanded version of his deluxe album, um, you know, Music to be Murdered by, the song called Zeus. Um, and he had a, uh, a verse in there, or a lyric, and I'll quote it. He says, as far as splashing beef, I'm used to people knocking me, but just not in my camp. And diplomatic as I'm trying to be, last thing I need is Snoop Dogg in me. Man, dog, you was like a damn god to me. Man, not really, ha-ha, I had God backwards. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you recall, music to be murdered by uh, was, you know, I don't want to say a sequel, but definitely a follow-up to um, his Kamikaze album which was all about, the whole album was really about going at people who have been going at Eminem. And so... Um, Joe Budden, Lord Jamar, MGK, etc. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it just goes on and on and on. Um, and so, you know, this was, it's, it's not uncommon for M to address his feelings about things in lyrics. Um, but, you know, so... Uh, that kind of flew under the radar for me. Were you were you up on that when that happened? No, I mean, actually, it was funny. I mean, it was, I think, at the last episode of 2020, if I'm not mistaken, you know, you and I kind of matter-of-factly dropped the point that Eminem had released an expanded edition of Music to be Murdered by. Like, and that happened at mid, whenever, whether it was early 2021 or late 2020, it happened... I listened to it one and a half times and kind of moved on from it. And honestly, those lyrics didn't even stick to my ribs. Yeah, mine neither. Mine neither. Uh, but fast forward and Clubhouse, you know, you know Clubhouse, right? Um, for those, for those new to the party, but in the party, yeah. Right. So for those out there who don't know, Clubhouse is an app that that uh, got really popular in 2020. Um, best way to describe it is it's almost like being able to drop in on panel discussions um, and it can be you. Like TED Talks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or it could be, you know, uh, screenwriters and producers or, you know, artists or whoever it might be. And it's just a collective of people chopping it up and you can listen, you can participate. Um, and it's become very, very popular, particularly um, in uh, the hip hop community. 
So there was a clubhouse room that was attended by Das, uh, Dillinger, uh, obviously the Dog Pound, Royce, Nori, and Joe Budden. And uh, Das said that Eminem actually, uh, that, that Snoop had, actually had been upset that Eminem had refused uh, to be uh, a guest on, on a Snoop track. You know, uh, Snoop had invited mm-hmm. him to be um, you know, part of a song, and Das says that he took it personally, and that's why you never heard a song from Snoop and Eminem. Um, so this actually didn't start with, with um, that Snoop this. It started, it apparently seems like Snoop was the one who was kind of in his feelings. Um, and, you know, does that surprise you to hear that Snoop would react that way to uh, Eminem? Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, let's look at the whole context. Eminem's lyrics say, I looked at you as a god. And, you know, you and I spent some time in recent weeks talking about the fact that, you know, 2 Chains is one of the elite rappers that's yet to have a Jay-Z feature, despite, you know, some overlapping associations with Kanye and, and Def Jam history, et cetera. And that hasn't happened yet. Um, and, and, you know, and we understand that. But Snoop was on uh, the Marshall Mathers LP with Be Please 2, which was, you know, kind of a, a recycling of Snoop's hit on his own, you know, top dog album. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was kind of like a second life to it. And you would think that that, that tribute would be returned. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. And I think that Daz is a credible source. Um, you know, there's one other component that we should say is after Zeus, Snoop responded and called it a soft ass diss. Um, yeah. You know, so you know, it, it does make sense. And I think over the years, there has been a lot of, um, and I'm, I'm curious at it too, like in the, in the business of hip hop, I've started asking, I asked Static Selector, you and I, when we interviewed him, I'm like, how do you say no to people? Whether it's the radio show, whether it's somebody asking for a beat. Um, and I'm always fascinated by that because I think in many ways, we live in a time when everybody says yes to everything. And there's a few artists that get a, a pass from that. Jay-Z is one, Dr. Dre is another, and I think um, Eminem is on that level too, where people expect him to say no, but if he views Snoop in this way, and Eminem is not bound to any contractual obligations that can be overridden, um, if that's true, I think Snoop's justified, but I don't think that Snoop would let that play into his top 10 list. That's just me, unless he was really that irked that he would be that subjective. What do you think as far as that? Well, I mean, so there's a couple things, right? Um, in looking at it, so one, there's Snoop, like a dude who has been a legend since 1992, who has stayed relevant for now what is coming up on 30, <laughs> who has had, um, you know, success in multiple decades. It's not like he's standing on his catalog from the 90s. He did it again in the O's. He did it again in, in, the, in the teens. So incredibly, incredibly relevant, you know, been in films the whole night. So Snoop is a legend in his own right. But the second part that makes it even more interesting, and this ties back to the Breakfast Club interview, is that Snoop is a Drake protege, right? He is, um, he is, uh, you know, you know, you know, outside of NBA, uh, NWA, um, Drake's first protege, and so um, that being the case, you know they are part of an extended family, uh, the Dr. Dre family. And uh, for Eminem to like say no to a person who is family makes it a little different. 
You know what I mean? They were not only on that um, that um, uh, that um, uh, Marshall Mathers LP. They were also on the Chronic 2001, right? For sure. I, I mean, and you know, integral parts of it. I, I'm sure they they shared writing responsibilities, the whole nine. So they go way, way, way back on a deep level. So then, to me, it starts to feel a bit more personal that this guy who is in your camp, and you know, as part of the Breakfast Club interview, part of what Snoop says is that the reason why. Um, a lot of people are able to put Eminem on their top 10 list is because of Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre established him. Dr. Mm-hmm. Dre gave him credibility. Dr. Dre um, made it so that he was not viewed as a, um, uh, you know, as a punchline or, or as a, you know, white rapper per se, but as a, a rapper. And so for you to be part of this movement with someone and to say no, I think that takes it to a different level. And I think that's probably what got under Snoop's skin. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that absolutely makes sense. And, you know, I think we're living in a time now. I mean, we've watched Drake is another good example. You know, Drake comes out and will co-sign. I think it's one of Drake's great attributes is that he is very generous with his co-sign and his feature. Um, we've seen that with 50 Cent, too. I don't know that his stock, at least in the rap side, is as high as it's as it was, you know, five or ten years ago. But guys are generous. So the fact that you have Eminem saying no, um, and that would be a whole different story if there was label politics involved. You know, Dr. Dre stopped producing Snoop at a certain point because Suge Knight was still profiting on those albums. Um, and even still... I think Dre got in, I know he was involved in The Last Meal, which was an album that other people were profiting on. Um, Yeah, it just seems extra that Eminem would go to the trouble of saying no. And, you know, I understand that there's, um, you know, artists out there. One of the the criticisms Eminem faced from Joe Budden was, where was that look when it counted so much, you know, for Slaughterhouse? Where was that look? um, You know, you can go through the Shady Records roster um, you know, there's a lot of artists that didn't get the Eminem love that even Jay has given some of Rock's artists over the years, whether you're talking about Rockefeller or Rock Nation. So for Eminem to be stingy, it is a little bit suspect. Um, but one thing I'll add is this to me has this to me has the setup of of an upcoming versus battle all over it to me. Yeah, I want to get to that in a second. Um, um... But I want to go back to something you said. You said earlier that you didn't think that even if it was Snoop kind of being in his feelings, he would allow that to affect his top 10 list. Um, I would I hope not. I mean, I, just as a hip-hop head, well, you know. I, I agree with that. But but here's the interesting thing, and this is the one thing we, we left off. So um, in addition to naming kind of his top 10 list, at the end, Snoop punctuated it by saying, but when you're talking about this hip-hop shit, that I can't live without, I can live without that. You know, referencing mm. uh, referencing M, like, right? That was like a little- Let's put bit, a little mustard on it. Little, yeah, a little extra sauce in it, right? And so, um, you know, fast forward to New Year's Eve and Eminem was on a Shade 45 interview. And it was in that interview that this, this whole thing resurfaced, which is why we're bringing it up now. Um, he said, Again, I probably could have gotten past the whole tone and everything, but it was the last statement where he said, as far as music I can live without, I can live without that shit, he said. Now you're being disrespectful. It just caught me off guard. I wasn't ready for that. 
So do you think that 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 that, that statement by Snoop was disrespectful? That's a really good point, and that is let's let's. I'm sure we can agree that that is very uncharacteristic of Snoop to go that extra mile, especially a post. I mean, early in his career, you know, Snoop Snoop had tensions with Luke and Two Live Crew and Tim Dog and you know other people. But really, since the late '90s, the only folks that I remember Snoop having major tension with is Suge Knight. So for him to go with you know a, a home team to your point guy and making that point. Yeah, suddenly what Daz is saying starts to make sense. I would hope that Snoop wouldn't taint his top 10 that way, but in justifying it, there's a hell of a lot more diplomatic ways to um, critique M than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and so Royce, who was also in that clubhouse room, um, in response to Daz, you know, it's interesting because they're two kind of proxies, you know, um, you know, Snoop's proxy and Royce's proxy were kind of defending. Um, and, you know, he said, Royce said, uh, or he was of Eminem, he was like, damn, that energy was coming off of Snoop in that interview, whether he meant no harm or not. I think he just looked at it like it's a more respectful, brotherly way to say what you said. Um, and But uh, Royce agreed that it didn't have to be a diss song. So, you know, coming back around, we talked about the fact that Eminem has made entire albums, um, you know, to respond to his detractors. You mentioned Budden, um, you know. Um, do you think that artists go at Eminem more than, than they go at other people? Not these artists. I think that, you know, there's a whole community of new generation, you know, that troll M. I think, you know, we saw a little bit of that with Tyler, the creator. Um, which was one of the people that M responded to on Kamikaze and in that whole press campaign. You know, Joe definitely, you know, I mean, if Snoop put on mustard, Joe put a whole sandwich into it back in, what was that, 2017 on, you know, both his podcast and Everyday Struggle. Um, I think M's an easy target uh, because he responds, because he can dedicate an entire direction of an album to responding to his critics. But I don't know that people... Um, are hating on Eminem un, unfairly. I, I think I think they're not being the most polite about it, but I think that, you know, I don't know. I mean, M's stock in the game is, you know, that is a great, that is a good. I'm going to disagree a little bit. You would disagree? I'm going to disagree. I think okay. people do go, and I'm not necessarily saying this applies to Snoop or Button, but I do think that people go at Eminem at disproportionately uh, for two reasons. Um, I think you have your camp, and I won't name names, but there are certain people who have been uh, very outspoken about M, um, you know, for years consistently uh, because they don't believe that he deserves the accolades that he gets. Uh, they think that he gets um, props because he's white and not because of the, the um, because of the, his skill level. And so uh, there, there's that camp. There's the, but there's also the fact that he is. Uh, and I'm not sure this this continues, but in the in the uh, uh, two, in the aughts, you know, 2000 to 2010, he was the biggest artist of the decade, not just in, in hip hop, in all music, he was the biggest artist. And um, you know, he might still be the most commercially successful art, rapper of all time. I think that it's probably been eclipsed by Drake at this point, um, but I'm not sure. Um, but I think that when you are at the top like that in popularity, you know, let's put skill set aside and popularity. Okay. You're a natural target. I think people come to you. Everyone wants to dethrone the king or the queen. And so I, I do think that people come at him um, disproportionately. 
I mean, that, that's fair. I, you know, one thing that Eminem did is in the early 2010s, you know, those tracks leaked. They never made his albums. I feel I forget whether it was Relapse um, or Recovery. But, you know, Eminem had made those tracks dissing um, Lil Wayne, Kanye West um, at a real kind of pivot point in his career. And they never came out, but then they leaked. And, you know, M used a lot of um, tactics early in his career on the commercial side whether he was dissing Carson Daly, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, Moby. And, you know, that's been the one thing about Eminem is he was happy to give it out when he was this, you know, rascal, really talented lyricist 20 years ago. And we've seen that he is giantly affected when he's on the other side. And, um, you know, I definitely think Joe Budden was very strategic about that, especially once the horses were out of the barn. Um, but yeah, and, and, and one thing I'll say too is you've, we've not seen people come at Nas that way, you know, and we've not seen people come at Jay-Z that way with the exception of maybe the game. Um, and Eminem is trolled a bit. Um, but in the case of Budden and Snoop, I don't know, they, they did put a little bit of muscle into it. Well, let me, so then, okay, that brings me to the other question. You just, you just touched on this a little bit. Um, is Eminem too sensitive? You mentioned that he was dishing it out before, um, but it seems like he may be a little bit thin-skinned when it comes back to him. Um, you know, I think part of what you have to develop if you are on top is that thick skin. You have to expect that people are going to come at you. And, you know, I do think that people go with Jay. You know, Drake has had a lot of, like, sneak disses. There have been, you know, people who got, like, you know, obviously the Nas thing. There have been... Uh, over the years, people who came at Jay, but he tends to, um, I think, stay above the fray a little bit. He doesn't engage that often. Like, I can't imagine Jay-Z doing an entire diss album because he just doesn't want to even acknowledge his detractors. Like, you know, like, like he said at the end of um, Takeover, like, uh, I only got two bars, like, you know, F- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so Jay, you know how he gets down. Um, but it does, to me, seem to affect him differently. So do you think he's too sensitive? Yeah, and I think Eminem's strongest suit was when he was a funny guy. Like, even when he made fun of, like, Mark Wahlberg and, and MC Search and Everlast, like, when he came at white rappers and other targets early in his career, it was funny. And that's, Eminem could be cutting and funny, and then all of a sudden we watch things kind of change with Benzino. And, you know, you look at a song like, um what was it toy soldiers where m's m's intensity revs up and it's not funny anymore and i absolutely you know all day long think that he beat benzino in that beef in that battle but it's not funny anymore like it it gets to be too serious and these days dissing m even when it came down to mgk like the kill shot stuff it just wasn't a fun beef anymore it gets to you know, it's like you get, it's like trash talking in sports. You can get into somebody's head where they're no longer playing the game at the level they're capable of. So to answer your question, I do. And I think Eminem would stand so much more for legacy and career if he would just mute Snoop, if he would have um, muted Lord Jamar, if he would have muted a lot of the people and just made a dope album. Um, and Kamikaze was cool because it had that whole theme of like, yo, I'm firing back. But here we are two and a half years later um, I know you were a bigger fan than I was of the original, you know, music to be murdered by, but you've already shifted the narrative back to, you know, where things are at with him and Snoop. Yeah. And I just, I, I think now all of a sudden as M is marching towards 50 years old, 
you've really got to make another great album um, to live up to that top 10 legacy, which I'm sure both you and I can agree. And I know a lot of our readers and listeners would agree. Eminem is a, is a great, you know, goat level MC, but I want to hear that now. I don't want to keep going back to Marshall Mathers LP and Encore and Slim Shady LP. And I'm getting further and further out where I think it says something that Eminem gave an expanded edition of an album. And I listened to it one and a half times and there was great production on there. There was interesting guests, but it's just not how I choose to spend my time. And, and that's no shots. That's just keeping it a beam. Yeah. You said um, you should have muted Snoop, but you also have a theory as to why uh, maybe he's actually amplifying this. So you, you want to get into that? Yeah. I mean, we've seen Snoop with versus trying to see like, who can I be up against? And Eminem is the best possible opponent for Snoop. I mean, we talked about Snoop versus 50 Cent. Um, M, I mean, just the grab of that. The, the, the diehard fans that are Eminem fans that don't necessarily listen to other hip hop. Um, you know, this, this could be massive. And people, I heard folks say like, you know, um, M versus DMX because there was always rumored tensions there. And these guys came up around the same time and both had kind of underground history um, leading up to their breakthrough. I think because of what you said, the, the, the Dr. Dre protégés, um, it's a really, really interesting battle. Um, and if you really want to stand side by side and say, well, how many really undeniable classic albums are there? How many very good albums? How many misfires? This could be huge. And part of me um, is just a little bit skeptical. And I'm like, watch this. Excuse me. Watch this be a press campaign towards a versus. Yeah. You know, um, I think it could be a cool battle uh, if you, you know, if you were comparing their 2000s output. But, you know, as we talked about, Snoop precedes him by a good, you know, seven years or so in terms of like, you know, public facing material. And so I'm not even sure that that would be the appropriate battle. You know, um, I start to think about Snoop and who could be, who's had that kind of longevity. And uh, I think an interesting pairing would be Busta Rhymes. Because you think about, um, you know, when Leaders kind of came out, like 91 or so, uh, Snoop 92, and Busta definitely had that longevity. Um, I think about Anas, you know, came out just a couple years later um, from Snoop. Yeah. And it's had that kind of longevity. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sold on, on the notion of it being a versus. I think it would be massive if it was, but I'm not, I, I think this is deeper than, than, uh, than that. So on Tuesday, there was an Instagram post on a page called Rap Cypher 3 uh, where they, they, they posted a picture of Snoop, M, and Dre, one of the rare pictures of, them, of uh, M and uh, Snoop together. And it said... The caption said, I wonder what changed. And Snoop apparently weighed in saying nothing, we good. So people have taken that as an end to the beef. Um, so far, Eminem has not responded. Um, so we shall see. Interesting. Yeah, I'm just a skeptic of this. And, and it hasn't gotten sloppy. You know, it's, it's, there's clearly hurt feelings. There's some bias here. But I just, I really predict. And I think that it would be a testament to verses. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I mean, both of these guys have worked with Timberland. I'm not sure about Swiss Beats. Um, but if that, if, if that platform starts to become real-time history, I think we all 
were fascinated at the at the dynamics of Gucci Mane and Jeezy. Um, but to watch a, a battle that the public thinks is brewing and be settled with old school versus and these guys dap it up on stage and do be pleased to together. Um, that just feels to me like what hip hop promo looks like in 2021. I hope I'm right. I hope I'm right because, I mean, these guys made history together, to your point, on Dre's 2001, on the Up and Smoke tour. They are, they are you know, goats in their own right. And um, I just hate to see this go foul. Yeah. No, it would be crazy. It would be, it would be very wily, very clever, very crazy if, uh, if it was a versus, but, but we'll see. But taking it back to the root, you know, Dr. Dre, um, there was some scary news about him. Uh, about a week or so ago, uh, was admitted to the hospital with an aneurysm, um, but he's been released now uh, and is back at home. Um, so, you know, that, that that's a great update from that. Um, you know, he hasn't um, said anything publicly, but, you know, through spokespeople, you know, we do. Know I saw Ice-T said he FaceTimed with them and he's in good health. And, yeah, you know. and getting, uh, getting care uh, 24-7 there. So, yeah, 55 years old, man, um, Dr. Dre, um, you know, still strong. So, yeah, great, great to see. And, uh, you know, aneurysm, I lost my grandmother to an aneurysm. And I think everybody I talk to, I mean, and those are things that are are not as preventative as other health issues. And we all know, we've all watched Dr. Dre's health journey in real time. I mean, he's in better shape now than he was, you know, around deep cover. So I'm hoping it's just up and up from here. And maybe uh, he'll do an interview soon and fill the fans in on what we want to know. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that you mentioned deep cover because uh, you know those lyrics, uh, you know those fa- that famous hook because it's one eight seven on an undercover cop, um, you know, um, is actually you know ties perfectly with the next topic, which is rappers are actually starting to go to jail for their lyrics. Um, you know, so imagine if Snoop Dogg and uh, Dr. Dre had been convicted of inciting murder on police because of, of that. Um, well, we're, we're, we're very, very dangerously close to that happening now. There are uh, several rappers, maybe hundreds, that have now been convicted due to their lyrics. Um, you know, it's interesting because for me, I did a, my, my third year, my law school thesis was on this. You know, back in 1994, Tupac was on trial. There was a... Um, uh, a man named Ronald Ray Howard who was shot and killed a Texas state trooper named Bill Davidson. And uh, at the time he was pulled over, he was listening to Tupac Soldier's story, uh, which was about uh, a black man being pulled over by the police and then um, shooting and killing the person that pulled him over. And so he said that, that uh, Tupac's song had incited him to killing the state trooper. And uh, it was used, being used as a defense for him. And also later on, um, the family of the, the state trooper used that song to try and sue Tupac and Interscope, um, you know, uh, be, you know, for li- for being liable for the, the death of the of the officer. Uh, my paper was um, really on a couple of things. One that. Tupac's music should be protected by the First Amendment because the First Amendment uh, protects free speech against criminal um, prosecution and and against um, uh, civil liability. And this is something that had been well established in music for decades. Um, Back in the 80s, there were songs by Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest um, that, uh, you know, people had said had caused teens to kill themselves. 
Ozzy Osbourne's song was called Suicide Solution. It had, um, you know, hidden lyrics in it, like get the gun and try it, shoot, shoot, shoot. Um, you know, um, those were dismissed though, because again, the First Amendment protects uh, any kind of speech, whether it be, um, you know, you and me talking uh, in a film, in art and music against uh, prosecution, criminal or civil. Uh, you know, fast forward to 2017, however, and the, and it, the issue starts to resurface. There's a guy named um, Lawrence Montague who was um, in jail awaiting um, sentencing or, or awaiting trial for murder and gun-related charges. And he wrapped a verse to a friend on the phone in prison. That verse was recorded and it was used to convict him and imprison him for 50 years. Um, his appeal was recently denied by the Supreme Court. Mm. Um, and, you know, uh, which means that this is a precedent now that can affect anyone. And uh, typically what happens is once that's set, then people will use, cite that case that was, that was denied and use it as a, a means for convicting people all across the country. Um, one of the craziest examples of it was uh, this guy, Jamal Knox, uh, who went by the name of Mayhem Mall. And um, you and I covered this back in 2016 or so. Um, he was a Pennsylvania man who was convicted in 2013 of two counts of terroristic threats and two counts of witness intimidation. He had another song called Fuck the Police. Um, and he had been out on bond in a drug case and he, he released a song about the two uh, arrest. Well, that could have been about the two arresting officers. Um, but 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 that song, that song was then used uh, to convict him of those two things. And Killer Mike, Chance the Rapper, Meek Mill, Yo Gotti, Fat Joe, 21 Savage, and others supported an amicus brief. And what that is, is um, you can write uh, a, um, a brief pleading a case um, inciting why a case should be decided one way or another and submit it on behalf of someone, even if you're not a party to the actual case. Um, just in support of it. And so they did that to the Supreme Court because they obviously understand what's at stake and you know how important it is um, for speech to be protected, um, particularly for, for artists. Um, and in 2019, the Supreme Court declined to hear that case, which is effectively saying that um, you know that case was decided in the correct way um, as well. So we're now in a place where, um, unlike any other form of art, you know, music, film, television, whatever, rap music is being used to convict um, the people who create it. And um, it's a it's an insane uh, thing when you think about it. But what, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you have the legal background, but they've been using rap lyrics for character portrayals for years. Like, you know, prosecuting attorneys, Anytime an artist of profiles up there, whenever they can, will use lyrics to try to say like this is who this person is. Um, correct yeah, me if I'm wrong with that, right? Six nine case is probably the most yeah. profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is this is happening, um, and it's very concerning. At the same time that, so I do a lot of bio work with a lot of artists, especially you know upstart artists. A lot of these guys from the south side of Chicago, and I'm finding out that there's a lot of declarations in music um where artists are incriminating themselves and you have that at the same time that the legal system is expanding to can you know convict artists for their lyrics i'm really concerned and i don't know that this will be happening to 
you know, the type of MCs that you and I listen to on the daily, but just for what rap music means, what it represents, the stuff that makes news on the New York Times, Washington Post, Good Morning America, I'm really concerned because, yeah, this is happening at a time when artists are, are becoming famous by saying that they did things that are violent and illegal in the street. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm really just concerned for lack of a better. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, uh, it just speaks to so many things first, you know, um, it's clearly, um, there are, are clear racist implications here. You know, rap is obviously predominantly done by black artists. So there's no other justification for singling out this particular Ozzy and yeah. and Judas Priest never served time, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you, know, uh, you know, Johnny Cash has made songs about murdering there are tons and tons of artists and other genres who make songs about murdering people uh who are not held accountable for these things, you know. Um and it, it's also holding rap music to a completely different literal standard. Like if every single thing that a rapper said was supposed to be taken literally, then every single, just like 95% of rappers should be in jail, you know, because, you know, according to, to, to songs that committed crimes, they, you know, uh, every dude has had sex with every other dude's woman. Like, I mean, there's all sorts of like <laughs> absurd yeah. implications when you, when you take it to, you know, uh, as logical extent. Um, but it just speaks to, um, it speaks to, just kind of where we are, you know, as a country, you know, it's just reminders, you know, and, you know, the only exception to the protection of the First Amendment is if you are specifically inciting violence. So if you... Well, that's the terroristic threats, right? Yeah. So if you tell someone to go and kill this person right now, like, you know, or you scream fire in the theater or something like that. Or you tell somebody to march to the Capitol building on Twitter. Exactly. You know, uh, exactly. Those are the kind of things that then uh, are not subject to First Amendment protection. Yeah. But just, you know, talking about something general or, you know, um, saying something that's fantasy or you know, thinking, uh, you know, saying your thoughts out loud of what you'd like to happen. You might be pissed at a, at a police officer or whatever, and you wish something upon them. That is not the same thing as inciting violence on that person. And right. so, you know, it should be you should be protected by the First Amendment for that. Yeah, I mean, I always think it's interesting, and, and Jay Prince was talking about this on Drink Champs. I mean, for years, you know, the ghetto boys were the microphone that Jay Prince, who wasn't a rapper, although he rapped at times on, on interludes and stuff, but he would literally name the prosecuting attorneys, the investigators in Houston. Like, that was a case of... of but it wasn't like we're going to do harm to this person. It was just a reflection of, of, of life, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah. You know. So, I mean, imagine a world where MCs are not able to talk about anything that might uh, implicate them or subject them to criminal prosecution. Right. It, it, it radically changes what artists are able to talk about in their music. You know, um, you know, the entire gangster rap genre is gone. Uh, reality yeah. rap, you know, um, reality rap, uh, you know, you know what kids are talking about, from, you know, from little baby to, you know, dub baby to whoever, like, uh, you know, entire genres are wiped off the map. There's no talk about, you know, um, drug use. There's no talk about, yeah. like, um, anything that could be, could be criminal. Um, and so that's a very, very dangerous place to be. 
And, you know, it, again, it doesn't apply to film. You, you can have, you know. And that's the whole thing. If, if this was a level playing field and they were doing it with country or they were doing it with film, if they were doing it with literature, if they were doing, but it's just singling out rap as yeah. we know it right now. Yeah. So people should be alarmed. You know, people should be uh, really kind of up in arms about this, uh, you know, right into the Congress people, um, you know, um, because, you know, once you start to like cut off people's free speech, uh, you know, you just don't know, you never know where it's going to stop. There's this, this term called slippery slope, you know, and uh, you, you, you start with a thing that seems like it's not a big deal and you keep going and eventually you find yourself in a really kind of draconian system. So, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I hope people wake up and, and I'm, I'm actually going to take the pledge. I've been writing politicians more than ever. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do my part with that too. And I'm sure there's those things out there that already have the email drafted just to let them know that you care about it. Yeah. Um, so we lost, uh, another, um, hip hop icon this week. Yeah. Someone we had just been talking about, uh, I think it was last week, right? Um, yeah, you brought up his name in, yeah. in, in the podcast last week. Duke Booty. Uh, yeah. who was, you know, part of uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. A.K.A. Edward Fletcher, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, part of the message, um, you know, uh, died this would do any, you know, the cause of death or, or... Yeah, I just, Rolling Stone did a really nice tribute um, that I read this morning, and it was um, end-stage congestive heart failure. He was 69 years old, and I learned a lot from that article that, honestly... Um, I, I really salute the people that properly cover our pioneers. And, um, you know, Jay Kwan, whose videos we've supported a lot over the years, has a really, I say homemade, and that doesn't do it justice, but it uses a lot of found footage to tell Duke's story. I would encourage anyone to listen and watch that, because this guy's the architect of the message, which I know is, you know, a song that you and I both hold in the highest regard. Yeah, Absolutely. And he, I didn't realize this either, but he was a member of um, the Sugar Hill, the Sugar Hill house band. So as we all know, you know, like Sugar Hill records, you know, they played over even with like Sheet Good Times. Those were bands in the studio that were recreating kind of the ahead of sampling. And he was a key member of that. And this happened, unfortunately, right before uh, Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five were going to get their uh, Lifetime Achievement Grammy, right? Yeah, get that Grammy. And and yeah, it's just, it's really, really sad to see. He was 69 years old, and um, there's just been so much loss going on. Yeah. So we got some uh, new music coming out. Benny uh, plugs, too. That, that's still my favorite um, my favorite album uh, from Benny, Plugs I Met. Uh, okay. I love Burden of Proof, but Plugs I Met is, is still my joint. Um, but Plugs I Met, too, is coming out March 19th. Produced entirely by Harry Fraud. As far, I mean, we're going off a tweet right now, but I thought that was really interesting because obviously Plugs I Met One was not one, you know, wasn't a single producer. Um, I believe it was, you know, DJ Shea, RIP, Derringer. Uh, I want to say Beat Butcher had a joint on there. And, you know, so to see Harry Fraud, who's not somebody that we associate as full-on Griselda projects, but is, you know, a great producer, Brooklyn, Brooklyn native, you know, done crazy joints with Action Bronson, French Montana, uh, a whole host of these projects with currency, including a really dope one last year, um, Outrunners. So yeah, that's something to look forward to. And I mean, we're two months out from that. And, uh, you know, and, and Benny on top of it, 
made the Buffalo Bills fight song. And uh, maybe that's the winning charm because, you know, the Bills are, are two wins deep uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think Benny sounds phenomenal on Derringer Beats, obviously an alchemist. I think mm-hmm. the two of them have a similar kind of chemistry. And Harry Fraud to me fits in that in that same kind of family of like dark chords and like you know kind of eerie beats and real soulful. So, uh, I'm yeah, gonna- Harry's samples, which I love, and at the same time, I mean, he was a a guy who clearly studied the Pete's and the Premiers and the Rizzas and and all the OGs. But even in the early 2010s, when he was working with French and Bronson and all those people, he was very contemporary too, and really wasn't trying to just copy them but come with his own lane. So. I hope we get a single ahead of this project. Um, you know, to your point, Plugs I Met is a is a sacred brand in the Griselda, uh, you know, Black Soprano family catalog. So yeah, something that's probably the release that's announced right now that I'm looking most forward to. Yeah, yeah, and Drake is supposed to be coming out. Uh, you know, a lot of people thought that would be this month. We've only got two weeks left. Uh, of course, Benny and Drake have that track together that a lot of people are waiting for. I can't wait to hear that track, actually, you know, because yeah, um, I want to hear whether Benny is moving more, uh, you know, toward Drake's lane or Drake is moving more towards Benny's lane. Because, um, you, you know, Drake has done that in the past, too. It's not like, you know, uh, people just meld themselves to Drake. Like on Stay Scheming, you know, Drake sounded like straight MMG on that, on that song. So right. I want to hear... I want to hear what that song sounds like. It's going to be really, really Drake's cool. generous like that. I expect that as well. Um, Drake is also appearing next month on an artist with a similar name. That's also, um, I think been held to a standard because of his rap content, Draco, the roller who got out of uh, prison last year and Drake. And it's funny too. I mean, you know, completely independent artists out of, uh, you know, the streets of LA and Drake said, yo, I'm a fan of what you're doing. I'm a fan of this whole movement. Um, you know, that those guys are part of and that feature is going to be coming to the surface soon. Uh, I saw he's been talking about that. So yeah, Drake's going to be making his rounds and, and un, undeniably has his own project in tow as well. Yeah. And some older music has uh, resurfaced. Um, Doom, you know, there's obviously no surprise, but his music is up significantly, 800%. Um, yeah. Uh, I listened to a, a great stretch in Bobito podcast on apple music where they 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 mix in a lot of doom classics kmd remixes freestyles but then also like um you know they have sound bites of people who were you know significant in doom's life um just telling stories about like you know prince paul and like people like that just telling stories about how they hung out with him and um, just just wild things. It's really a, it's really a great listen. For about two hours of work. Oh, I need to check that out for sure. And it's funny, eight. Uh, you know, the the count that Hip Hop DX reported earlier in the week was eight hundred percent increase in streams. I look at a, and I know to your point at the beginning of the podcast, not a lot of stuff comes out in January. It seems, but um, I and I mentioned this last week. I mean, Doom has been heavy, heavy, heavy rotation for me, and not just you know, the big projects, but to see the features he did, to see, you know, those those projects under other names like King Jidra and, and Victor Vaughn. Um, and I've been listening to a lot of third base too and really kind of hear, trying to hear what Doom spawned out of in part with KMD. Um, so yeah, good to see. And then the other thing is it's dope that, um, you know, an album that you and I both love, um, you've done some tremendous writing on it. 
Good Kid, Mad City, you know, Kendrick's major label debut um, snuck back into the charts very well, um, thanks to a vinyl release. And, you know, I know one of the arching stories over the years is, you know, CDs might be dead, but vinyl isn't. I just like to know that people are out there putting their dollars up for great music. And um, to see Kendrick prove that eight plus years later, um, his album, you know, will still send people out to the stores or to, you know, websites to buy it is great. Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't realize that the album has been on the Billboard 200 basically since it dropped. It's the it's the longest standing album on the Billboard 200, rap album ever on the Billboard 200. Um, oh, damn. I, wow. I, when, the first time I heard it, I remember vividly where I was sitting. I was sitting in my, my spot in New Rochelle on the couch. And I was working very closely with TD at the time. It was a BT. I remember texting Dave Free and explaining to him that, like, um, just how blown away I was because you know, I'd heard Swimming Pools and the other songs, and I was a huge, huge Kendrick fan. You know, Section 80 was already one of my favorite rap albums of all time. Agreed. But when I sat and listened to Good Kid Mad City on my headphones in the dark, which is how I love to, like, you know, really digest, like, you know, a critical album, uh, I just was blown away with how good it was. Like, I just, I just texted him, like, how it just, I, I didn't expect it to be that good. And so, um, you know, Kendrick was coming in that Tuesday um, to promote the album. Um, and so I went, and it was the last CD I bought. <laughs> with my money. I went to the record store, the Best Buy, I think, up the street, bought it, and came back because I wanted him to sign it uh, for me. And he signed it, and I have that in a frame along with, I bought vinyl, two two copies of the vinyl. Oh, damn. Frame, um, yeah, with, with the note and everything. So it's really dope, kind of like, um, um, you know, tribute to, to that album. But yeah, one of my favorite albums of all time. I, obviously a classic at this point. I wrote in the very beginning, within a couple of days, that that we should call it a classic, and you know I think it's pretty undisputed at this point. But yeah, really great to see that album continue to get recognition. Yeah, man. The week or the week or two after that dropped, I went to I was editor in chief at DX at the time, and I was in LA. Went to a Clippers game, and uh, Kendrick was sitting a couple rows in front of me with um with Top and with uh what is it Steve Berman, the Interscope executive that plays Jerry Heller in the uh, Dre yeah. Day video. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, and I didn't, I mean, it was funny, too, because I'd spoken and, and had some association, and Wale was just, like, a few seats down from him, too. It was a good game, um, but I just remember, like, that album had come out, and I was watching an artist in real time, and in my mind, I'm thinking, can this guy come to every Lakers and Clippers game like this anymore? And the beautiful thing is, eight years later, Kendrick's still himself, um, one of the least changed-by-fame artists that seems to me at a distance out but I'm glad that that album still continues to resonate and penetrate. So any new music that's caught your attention? It's been real slow. Like I haven't been uh, digging into new music, but any new music caught your attention? Yeah. I mean, I'll give a shout out to two, two releases that I, I dug. Um, our, our man, Oswin Benjamin um, came out with a joint called joy comes in the morning. And I'll be real with you. I saw Oswin um, at a sound set in 2019 um, Always knew he was a talented MC. Uh, we covered him a lot on AFH. You know, great with the freestyle. Um, you know, some memorable appearances on Sway in the Morning. I had no idea that he could sing. And that was one of the things you and I talked about with the Locks last year. Um, because they had him on a really, one of my favorite songs on their album. 
and joy comes in the morning it's it's a really thematic joint um and it's got robert glasper all up on it too on several tracks seven on seven with him um that's the one that i would suggest anyone to encourage but oswin's completely independent extremely talented um and i've been i've been jamming that a bit then the other one is people know kev brown you know he's part of uh was part of the um that crew out of the dmv that odyssey was part of um peter rosenberg you know i I think uh low budget crew and you know kev got a lot of headlines years ago when he remixed the black album as the brown album and he's done great production with jazzy jeff and freddie fox and different people but um he's worked with jace cyanide who's an artist we covered um on afh and they have a new album called straight from the pack it's out on fat beats and and just really good hip-hop and i would encourage everyone to join on there is cutlass supreme you know I'm a car guy. There's dope artwork on that one. But that's a really good album for folks that are beat heads and just like purist DITC type hip hop. That's dope. I'm a huge fan of, of Kev Brown. Uh, I love the Brown album. Uh, and a big fan of Osmond Benjamin, too. I saw him at an A3 showcase. I think it was like 2015, maybe 2016. Um, and he was, it was at nighttime early, it was pouring down raining there were probably like 10 people out and it was like maybe 20 and it was like the, the big stage but he was rocking like it was 5,000 people you know that's dope that, that always impresses me I've seen a couple artists do that Dizzy Wright is another one and whenever I see artists do that it just like um it just it takes my respect level to a whole different level for them because um it just shows how seriously they take the craft you know uh, so yeah, shout out to him. Really dope. So looking forward to that. So Yeah, play that one. Oswin is truly underrated MC, you know. Yeah. So uh, what's your song of the week? Man, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee today. I got up this morning. It was very powerful. I uh, I walked these dogs that will not shut up. And sorry to every listener that's got a chirp in their ear now. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm literally across the street from the Lorraine Motel. Um. So, you know, I, I've been playing a lot of Memphis music the last 24 hours. So I'm going to give it up to 8-Ball and MJG coming out hard. That's my joint um, since I'm in Memphis. What about you? Yeah, Theo, Theo loving like, or is that Theo or is that the other one? No, nah, this is Morgan. He's a little guy. He's loud in the fight. And I'm at, I'm at, a, I'm at a spot that is dog friendly. So yeah. there's a lot of action going on that yeah. I don't know about, but with their ears and noses. But man, yeah, he is yeah, he is chirping quiet, when he chirps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Theo uh, Theo walk slow, carry a big stick. But anyway, over Morgan, to you. too. I can see it. So, <laughs> so for yeah. me, man, um, I gotta go back to 2010. Um, uh, I was listening to J Rock's um, "Hood Don't Love It." Uh, and I just had it on like uh, like a, the the radio uh, playlist of it, and a yeah. song from uh, Wiz Khalifa's "Cushion Orange Juice" came up, Ooh. and uh, so I went back and have been listening to that. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it up to Spotlight from from Cushion OJ by Wiz. Khalifa. Oh wow! The song is like man, it just hit me. So yeah, yeah. Shout out to Wiz. If it's 2010, man, you should put on like a real bright colored hoodie. Some real tight pants today, you know, go out and, and relive that year, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yeah, um, it was good. Yo, man. And uh, look forward to the next time. Yeah, man, me too. All right, peace.
Peace, man.